Welcome to the second recap for the Jekian Crusaders. I'm Drega, and as always, I'm the Dungeon Master. As the scale of the campaign continues to expand, it's helpful to look back and remember all that has transpired to this point. I know my players will certainly appreciate it. So, happy second anniversary, and thank you for listening. The first year of the campaign saw four heroes rescue Prince Avery, later revealed to be a fake. Vunthos's invasion of Jeke, which only a handful escaped, the Crusaders' flight through the mines under the Colossae Mountains, and the beginning of Pepper's journey back to the seaside fort. Episode 26 Deep in Gadampo Forest, roughly halfway to the seaside fort, the B-team came upon Camp Kutada, just north of the lake of the same name. This had served as the base of operations for Jeki's training exercises, so it came as little surprise that Sturgeon forces had already swept in and decimated the untested Jekian soldiers camping there. Phasmara, Jerndel, and Pepper, joined by Lieutenant Siren and her remaining troops, Ristal and Ludlow, hid in the undergrowth as Sturgeons dragged bodies into smoldering piles as the culture dictates. Phasmara approached the main cabin and offered the invaders a small bribe to let them spend the night in a couple of unoccupied tents. Pepper cut their tents' blankets into ponchos as a replacement for Siren's uniform. Ludlow squeezed into Pepper's old leather armor, but Ristal refused to wear anything but their armor. Pepper stole back Phasmara's bribe in the dead of night, the others slipped out of camp early the following morning, and a sleepy Pepper woke up just in time to see a wyvern flying over the Colossae Mountains. He would never have guessed that Noel was riding on its back. Pepper also received Rorstalt's message later that afternoon, informing him that the Jekian Crusaders were headed to Skoro. Phasmara and Jerndel split off to visit their secret treehouse south of Lake Kutata. They picked up enchanted weapons and disguises, and planned to rendezvous with Siren at the fort. Episode 27 Siren's group reached the edge of the forest, only a quarter mile from the seaside fort. They spotted two large Sturgeon warships about a mile out to sea, but from this distance they could not see the fort clearly. Siren asked Pepper for more information about what they might find there, but he was as vague and scatterbrained as ever, so Ristol tied him up to a tree and prepared to get intel the hard way. When Phasmara and Jerndil caught up, they found Ristol frustrated and Pepper still bound. The Jackian Crusaders changed into the disguises Phasmara had brought. Siren resembled a gladiator, while Ristol wore a tux and Ludlow looked like a farmer. Then they began their infiltration. When Siren and Pepper were roughly halfway to the fort, they noticed a collapsed Kenku. Pepper recognized him as his hatchmate, Squash, but when Siren rolled the Kenku over, his eyes were glazed like a dead fish, and he began cawing an alarm and held up a jar of blasting gel. Siren disarmed him and passed the jar to Ludlow, but when Squash ran towards the fort, Siren was forced to bring him down. Pepper would never fully trust the lieutenant again. Phasmara investigated Squash's body and found a pin that looked like a poker chip embedded in the back of his neck. It had a single word engraved on the inside, Paladino. Episode 28 With her staff of the woodlands, Phasmara helped the whole party reach the fort without alerting the guards on the wall. Hiding in the tree she'd used to attack the fort just a week prior, she overheard the guards discussing the Kenku they were keeping hostage. Once a day, they would escort one to their warship and never see them again. Lieutenant Siren disguised herself as the orc captain who attacked her group in the forest. The guards informed her of a dragonborn soldier named Scales, equipped with an emergency firecracker and guarding the Kenku on the roof. Pepper took him out, but it was a very messy kill. Though his fellow Kenku were elated at Pepper's return, he became racked with guilt, staring down at the young soldier he'd just ended. The Kenku informed Siren and the others that Elder Hoot was among the Kenku being held on the warship. They said the seaside fort was set to detonate if they did anything wrong. Pepper began helping them evacuate down the side of the fort, as the others headed to the lowest floor. There they saw a trio of mages, around the charred pile of Jekians in the center of the room. 
They finished their dark ritual and a new rift was created, from which a number of vines began to spill. When Siren stepped forward, one of them immediately saw through her disguise. This mage was none other than Vunthos the Usurper. Episode 29 Vunthos knew a great deal about Siren and her companions, but seemed uninterested in fighting. He strode away over the ocean, leaving his fanatics to deal with the party. One of them remotely detonated the emergency firecracker Pepper scavenged, alerting him to the struggle downstairs. This also caught the attention of the guards patrolling the fort wall, leading to a bloody battle on two floors. Once the guards had been defeated, Siren hatched a plan to get Vunthos' attention. She had been impressed by Ludlow's improvement in battle, so she entrusted the blasting gel to him and told him to lob it as far as he could over the ocean. Then Ristol could strike it with an arrow, ideally detonating it near Vunthos. Unfortunately, at the apex of Ludlow's pitch, the jar slipped out of his hand and shattered on the floor. Ristol and Ludlow were knocked unconscious by the blast, and if not for a very old health potion, Phasmara would have perished. Vunthos proceeded to the warship unhindered. Episode 30 The party had won their battle, but morale had never been lower. After her very close call, Phasmara was more than ready to give up and return to her treehouse. As she saw it, she had already brought Pepper to visit his village, so her mission was complete. However, Ristol saw her desire for self-preservation as selfish cowardice, and urged Siren to lead an assault on the Sturgeon warship. Before Siren could decide, they noticed that Pepper had gone missing. Pepper had been flushed through the ground into a pocket of air on the seafloor, a few hundred feet offshore from the fort. He pocketed a strange red object that looked like a dagger before he was approached by Procan, god of the ocean. Procan wanted to discuss the new rift that had appeared in the fort, warning that if it stuck around for much longer, the vines would continue to grow until they detonated the barrels of blasting gel held within the fort's prison. On Pepper's request, Ludlow and Jerndal were also sucked into the discussion. Procan seemed a bit desperate for help, and offered Ludlow safe passage to the Sturgeon warship. They were still confused, but agreed to figure out how to close the rift. When they were sent back, Pepper rushed into the rift before Ludlow could explain the situation to the others. Episode 31 This rift contained something like a temple, bordered by a sea of trees rather than water. While exploring the forest below, Pepper befriended a massive insectoid creature called an Ankeg. He nicknamed it Scuttlebuddy. Phasmara met some Quasits worshipping a statue of Alona, known in your world as the Lord of Forests. As they prayed, the vines grew quicker, and the party was ambushed by two wheel-like egg droids. Upon their defeat, the rift began to waver, and the party returned to the other side, including Pepper's Scuttlebuddy. Procan rewarded the party generously. They all leveled up, and Pepper received the Shellular Telephone, as well as the history of the Kenku. He learned that a group of Aarakocra had been cursed into becoming Kenku, simply for seeking peace with Jeke. This curse seemed to be part of a bargain between the Aarakocra Council and another yet unknown entity. The Council was soon punished for experimenting upon an egg droid, which brought an end to the conflict between the Aarakocra and the developing nation of Jeke. Episode 33 with the rift closed and the Kenku safe, Lieutenant Siren and her team prepared for their attack. Pepper also volunteered to come along to find Elder Hoot and the missing Kenku, and Phasmara and Jerndel stayed behind. With that, Procan deposited the party onto the deck of a warship. The Admiral on board was caught entirely off guard, and he had no soldiers left on the ship to defend himself. He offered ale to any deckhand who could injure the invaders, but Siren made a counteroffer by promising even more ale and her parents' bar which left the deckhands confused and uncooperative. Siren had the Admiral on the ropes when the ship's door burst open and Elder Hoot floated out, bound and gagged, followed by Vunthos. The robed man iced the Admiral and ordered for him to be cast overboard before turning to Siren. 
He gloated about slaying the king and claimed there was no way the Jekians could harm him. During the ensuing battle, Elder Hoot was freed and helped Pepper look for the others below decks. Vunthos summoned an evil storm which engulfed the ship in a purple blaze, but ultimately, he could not get the better of Siren Volatair. It was Ludlow who landed the final blow. Siren ran below decks to find Pepper and the other Kanku before the ship was destroyed. She located them in Vunthos's private quarters, where four of them stood in a row with the same blank expression as Squash had. Only Pepper's desperate pleading elicited a response from them, and everyone managed to jump clear of the ship just before the flames reached munitions, and the ship detonated. With their mission finally complete, Ristol thanked Siren deeply for her courage, and gave her Richmond's metal arm. Siren's group did not stick around for the Kanku's celebration, however, and led a rabble of thirsty Sturgeons back to Kianma for their promised ale. Siren reunited with her parents and learned of a military parade scheduled for the next day, which would include an appearance by Jekke's new regent king, a man named Vunthos. Just then, a young teenage girl entered the bar. She introduced herself as Alexa Spellmeyer, the daughter of Siren's fallen comrades. Episode 34 The Kinku celebrated their survival with dancing and feasting. The remaining Sturgeons were more than happy to be rid of their commanding officers and joined in the festivities. Over dinner, Phasmara and Jerndil reminisced about their first meeting in Pissidago. As it happened, Phasmara had been starving half to death and was in the process of robbing Jerndil's hut when she was discovered. Jerndil took pity on the drow and purchased some meat for her. Phasmara was on her way to Gadampa Forest after leaving Alfara behind in the desert. Jerndil had very little tying her to her home village, so she came along. Five years went by. They got married and established themselves as highway robbers in the forest thieving from merchants and mercenaries alike. On one such occasion, Jerndil took a lovely pair of magic hand axes from a flustered young half-elf named Ianor Shazo. However, their crimes had not gone unnoticed. They awoke the following morning, surrounded by thick thorny vines, where a voice said they were on trial by the forest itself, and their morality would be judged. They performed a number of odd tasks, such as feeding a flame-spinning boar, carrying eggs to the top of a tree, and fighting plants created from their own negative energy. At last, they reached a home inside of a tree, its entrance magically obscured. At its top, they found a weathered old druid. He was the guardian of Gadampo Forest, and he needed to find an heir before he passed away. Though Phasmara had done much wrong in her life, he felt the forest would be safer under her watch. The old guardian bestowed upon her his title, as well as his staff of the woodlands, the ability to awaken trees, and his treehouse. Then he faded into blossoms. Back in the present, Having relived these warm memories, Phasmara experienced a small change of heart, and even convinced Jerndel to return her stolen hand axes to Ianor. They departed on hippogriffs with Pepper and the four others he'd found in Vunthos's quarters. The other Kenku and Sturgeon sailed north on the remaining warship, hoping to find a safer place to call home. Episode 32 To the northeast, the Jekian Crusaders finally exited the tunnels under the Colossae Mountains, and entered the desert nation of Kazum. Vincent introduced his new airplane named Quetzi, and flew ahead with Swig to a stable, where an elderly lizardfolk couple tried in vain to sell the party camels. Once the sun set, a pair of flame skulls flew in from the north and demanded to see the child of Nerul. Vincent claimed to be this person, and walked off with them willingly. A very perturbed Noel followed along with Swig on his own spectral camel, while Tynus flew overhead to make sure Vincent was alright. Vincent convinced the flame skulls that Noel was his sister, which would make both of them children of Nerul. Privately, he promised Noel that she could call the shots from now on if this didn't work out. 
Episode 35. This didn't work out. The flame skulls led them to a pair of camping yuan who soon deduced that neither Vincent nor Noel were children of Nerul. Once Swig caught up, the party had the advantage in numbers, and defeated the yuan despite tensions between Noel and Vincent. Noel promised to find the child of Nerul to temporarily appease the flame skulls, and they drifted off into the desert. The party made camp for the night where the yuan had been. Tynus learned how to make friendship bracelets from cactus hide using the cookbook his father had purchased for Inneth, and he also learned that Chidaba Karini, Alfara's mother, was the chief of culture and tourism in Skoro. Noel was distracted from her frustration with Vincent by a phobe call from Pepper. He told her that he'd killed Vunthos and was on his way to Skoro with the others, plus four Kenku in a strange condition. Around the campfire, Warstel also told Tynus about his history for the very first time, including how he came to Jeke and met Scoville. Then everyone settled in for the night. Swigacht was visited by the presence in Tuala's judgment. It sifted through his memories and seemed to find something familiar about Castle Labesh. And before she fell asleep, Noel was troubled to find the moon's orbit and color to be off. She had the same dream yet again in which the moon turned red, but this time, a blue beam shone from the top of the Temple of Salune. As it made contact with the moon, Noel woke up. It was now day four after Jeke. Episode 36 Vincent was exhausted on account of keeping watch all night. He'd also been trying to get any response from the pebble which had spoken to him in the mines. Noel couldn't shake her anxiety about the moon's behavior, and decided it was worth consulting with Vincent. She felt certain it was time to return to Sondrax, though it would mean they'd be apart from Swig and Tynus for the time being. Vincent, honoring his earlier promise, had no choice but to agree. While he got Quetzi ready for the voyage, his pebble finally spoke up and urged him to stay with the party. Vincent asked the pebble who or what it was. The pebble did not answer. Vincent chucked it into the desert. After heartfelt goodbyes, Noel and Vincent were on their way north as the others traveled west. Despite a few minor roadblocks, it was late afternoon when Tynus, Swig, and the others finally reached Skoro, capital of Kazum. Episode 37 Alfara led the party through Skoro to her mother's house. Since Chidaba was chief of culture and tourism, she had a large manor in Skoro's inner ring. She was delighted to meet the adventurers and happy to give them a place to stay. Inith even began work in her kitchen staff. The cumulative stress of Jeke's collapse, the king's death, and returning home in perceived failure had finally caught up to Alfara. She'd barricaded herself in her room, but Swigacht managed to get through to her, and it seemed Alfara had begun to move forward. On the morning of day 5, Tynus visited the local P-Mart. He couldn't afford anything since Vincent took the party's gold with him, but he learned that Noel has a letter waiting for her. Upon leaving, he had a surprise meeting with one very distraught Kenku. Episode 38 Pepper finally reached Skoro and called Noel to find out where to land, but Noel was already en route to Sonderax. She apologized and asked Pepper to find Swig and Tynus instead. Pepper was crushed and he wandered the streets aimlessly before bumping into Tynus. Tynus certainly didn't expect the young Kenku to be so abrasive, but tried to roll with his new attitude. Pepper's scuttle buddy had become a pseudo-dragon which was more compatible with this world's ecosystem. Pepper briefly checked in with Phasmara before following Tynus to Jidaba's manor. There, the two birds climbed up to the roof with Rorstelt for some meditation. Pepper barely gave it a try, but Tynus saw just a flash of the man who is now known to be the child of Nerul. However, Rorstelt witnessed the death of his lifelong friend Richmond Spellmire, 
and he informed Richmond's daughter Alexa to find Siren Volatair at her parents' bar and seek passage to Kenma. Due to an old promise, Rostalt and Scoville had now become Alexa's foster parents. Meanwhile, Swig and Alfara had a run-in with common thieves while sampling local street food. Swig managed to recover the money, but it left Alfara feeling rather brittle. She decided to start learning self-defense from him in the park that afternoon. Chidapa led the group to Skoro's Sunset Festival that evening, and at sunset, Pelor himself inhabited the great bonfire at the center of the festivities. Three drow elders relayed the sun god's message. He sought the Jekian Crusaders, but Swig and Tynus were both afraid to step forward, so Paylor addressed the crowd at large. He warned them of a rift under his eastern temple, and that they would need the Child of Nerul to access it. Elsewhere, a retired sword-wrestling champion named Glamry Nimzen was approached by the Flame Skulls. He learned that he was the Child of Nerul, and he fled by Magic Goat in the direction of Skoro. Episodes 39 and 40 in the past the day that Vincent met Noel was the worst in his brief life to that point, though not through any fault of the clerics. Noel had just finished an introductory lecture on Salunian doctrine, taught by Oakley, the same woman who had rescued her from the forest. The lecture also touched on the six major gods, Ula and Procan, gods of earth and sea, who formed the spatial pair, Pelor and Salune, gods of the sun and moon, who formed the celestial pair, and Istis, god of fate, along with an unknown sixth god, who formed the temporal pair. During her lunch break, Noelle was tasked with loading fish from the northern docks into the temple's wagon. However, when she arrived, she witnessed four members of the Arakuza harassing a Tabashi child. Despite her best efforts to de-escalate the situation, they encased the cat's feet in stone and shoved him into the ocean. Vincent sank to the bottom as Noelle scrambled to find a way to save him. It felt like an eternity that Vincent was trapped underwater, but somehow, he could not drift off into unconsciousness. At last, Noelle swam down with her wagon and cast destroy water to create an air bubble and buy herself some time. She seared the stone off of Vincent's feet with divine light, managing to avoid inflicting major injuries, and the two of them swam to safety. Vincent introduced himself and thanked her profusely, and the two parted ways. Noelle soon received an invitation to dine with the Paladinos, which she nervously accepted. Over dinner, she received a large sum of gold from Vincent's father, Louis Palladino, and a new wagon from Vincent. The gold would later be donated to the Church of Salune. She also met the rest of Vincent's family, Vinnie Vorl, advisor to Louis, Nermal Palladino, Vincent's oldest brother, and Bonnie Palladino, his sleep-deprived sister. It took little time for Noel to develop feelings for Bonnie, which Vincent did take notice of. Vincent and Noel became fast friends and promised to meet again soon. Episodes 39 and 40 in the present. Traveling across the desert was a little problem with Quetzi. Noel and Vincent only ran into significant trouble when a panic Aarakocra struck them with a fireball during Vincent's shift. It was strong enough to single-handedly incapacitate Quetzi, and the three plummeted to the ground. Noel awoke from her rest in midair and cast Featherfall, and Vincent shot down the Aarakocra as they drifted to the ground. In a rage, he even waded into the pool where the bird landed, and made sure he couldn't escape. He forced the Aarakocra to help repair Quetzi while Noel rested. Once this was complete, Noel had a private conversation with the Aarakocra before healing him. He was careful not to reveal any information that might incriminate his fellow Aarakocra back in Sondorax, but he did tell her something very important. By this point, he'd figured out exactly who Vincent was, and he warned Noel that a certain man would want to see him. Louis Palladino, the Prime Minister of Flinica. 
She kept this development secret for now, and healed the Aarakocra, as promised. While flying north, the two were considering disguises when Noelle felt a strange force compelling her to land. She did so, and realized she was in the same clearing where her mother went missing. As a small child, Noelle got stuck in a tree while hiding from a beast. Eventually, her branch snapped, and she broke her leg from the fall. She would have died if she was not discovered and rescued by Oakley, who brought her back to the Temple of Salune. And in fact, it was none other than Oakley who appeared now to meet Vincent and Noelle in the forest. She shared the lunar prophecy that had led her here, which included some information about Noelle's situation as well. There was also another symbol, shown in conflict with a sister of Salune. Before they could determine what it meant, Oakley was shot by a poison crossbow bolt. Noelle stabilized her and learned the poison was of Sturgeon origin, but another attacker knocked Vincent unconscious as well. The assailants were members of a new faction called the Antithiists, who appear to oppose the gods and all who serve them. Oddly, the older one seemed to know Swigacht as well. Noel healed the one Vincent shot and convinced them to cease their attack. This left Vincent, Noel, and now Oakley only a few miles from Sondorax, with little idea of what to expect once they reached the city. Episode 41 Megara Volatare and Sparrow Adarin were a pair of wizards living in Zokash, set to graduate from the Sorcerer's College of Alchemy and Divination, provided they passed their final exams. On their last day in class, they were informed that the exam would be practical and conducted in pairs. At length, they agreed to work together. Meg's brother invited them out for ice cream, where he warned her that there would likely be a tiebreaker of some kind in the exam. He gave her a magic scroll to use, so she could pull ahead when the time came. The exam consisted of five rooms, and the two wizards were proceeding with ease until they reached a wizard dueling chamber. Though she remembered her brother's words, Meg decided not to use the scroll, and the two tried to duel without injuring each other. They were interrupted by the appearance of a summoner, and a demon which broke through the floor. It nearly proved too strong for both of them, but fortunately, it charged past Meg and into the summoner. The collision sent both of them through the wall. Meg and Sparrow found the final door on the other side, and entered a classroom for the written portion of the exam. Both of them aced the test and graduated successfully, and even earned jobs at the Zokash Interdimensional Research Institute. At present, it remains to be seen exactly when this took place, or what bearing these events may have on the journey of the Jekian Crusaders. Then they began- Sequoia, come on! I'm trying to do a thing! I'm doing a thing for the podcast, Koi You're already in an episode. Hello. Let's get some more meows for the recording. Get right up in the mic. Oh, that was a clean one. Oh my god, I can see the waveform of your purring. Guess our recap has bloopsers.